Restaurants Unstoppable, episode 365. A lot of folks, when they work for you, that sometimes are like, are you ever happy? <laughs> you know, are you ever happy with what I do? And, I, and I'm like, yes, but today is a new day. This is the restaurant business. <laughs> We're only as good as what we do today. People don't care about yesterday in the restaurant business. You can't, you'll be like, oh, well, you... You know, you got an article in the New York Times or whatever, you know, 20 years ago or whatever. It's today. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Yo, guys, what if I told you I found a menu that's made from paper that's waterproof and rip-proof? This thing is basically dirty-proof. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, get me some of that. Uh, I hate cleaning menus, but you can have this menu. It's called Terra Slate Menus, guys. You'll get 15% off if you use promotional code UNSTOPPABLE at checkout. So what are you waiting for? Head over to TerraSlatePaper.com. One question for you, does your social media game have room for improvement? The answer is yes for everyone across the board. We all need to continuously be improving to be unstoppable. But if you don't necessarily know exactly what you're doing, social media can be super intimidating. You need a strategy. You need a plan. Where does it come from? I'll tell you where it comes from. The number one marketing and promotion book, Bar and Restaurant Success. Head over to freebrsbook.com. One more time, freebrsbook.com to get your free copy of this book. I can't make it any easier. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chef Craig Hartman. Chef Craig, are you feeling unstoppable today, my man? Pretty much, I always feel unstoppable. I'm not going to lie to you. Yes, that is what we like to hear. Uh, <laughs> So special shout out to my boy, Brooks Tanner for making this suggestion. And man, I'm so happy he did super nice of him. Oh man. Looking into your history. I'm pumped. No pressure, but this is going to be a good one. I have a feeling my gut's telling me it's going to be a good one. So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) a graduate of the culinary Institute of America, chef Craig Hartman spent 37 years building his career around fine dining hotels and educating others. In 2010, he decided to take a change uh, or to change it up a little bit and made a go at fulfilling his uh, lifelong dream to open a barbecue joint. Today, he serves as the chef and owner of the Barbecue Exchange located in Gordonville, VA. Obviously, we're just scraping the surface. I can't wait to dive in deeper to discover what made you who you are today. But first, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. Take it away. I, I got to tell you, my. I've always said this. I've always felt this way, but here goes. I I believe that you have to enter each day trying to be better than you were the day before, trying to work better, faster, smarter, learn from your mistakes, but every day has to be better than the day before. If it's not true, if if that's not what's happening, then you're wasting your entire life. Yes. Oh, man, I love it. There's so much power in that mentality, Chef. Um, You know, for me, it's because 
if we spend every day trying to be better than everyone else, then eventually we'll achieve that goal of being better than everybody else. But then we stop growing. But if you try to be better than yourself than you were the day before, then you never stop. And man, it's so powerful. Do you want to dive in any deeper into that? Well, I got to tell you, I had my first chef I ever worked for. Uh, It was an Italian woman. She was the meanest person on the face of the earth. I mean, she would throw things at you. She would just verbally abuse you all day long. And and I probably deserved it. Not lying, but she, um, she told me one day when I tried to cook, I don't know, 20 pounds of spaghetti in a two gallon pot. And of course it all stuck together in one giant piece of pasta (laughs) and she's yelling at me. And then she looks at me and she just gets real calm. And she says, Craig, if you promise to learn from your mistakes, you will undoubtedly be the greatest chef that ever walked the face of the earth. <laughs> I'll never forget you said that because what she meant was you make more mistakes than any human I have ever seen in my life. But the truth of the thing was that if you'll learn from those mistakes and each day try to be better, and it, that's how it hit me, you know, you're going to learn. I mean, you got to take these mistakes as if you're in college, you know, you, you just learn, okay, that is not how I'm going to do that. Yeah. Oh, man. And you just don't, and you just don't do it again. And so that was really, that's really where this whole thing came from. But, you know, I'm now in my 45th year Wow. Um, in the restaurant business. And I, I feel this way that if I just coasted through this whole experience, 45 years still blows my mind. I just, I don't know where time went, but if I just coasted through and just went to work and I just did my job, what, what would you have at the end of all this? Where, where's the meaning? Why, why would you even, it would just be a waste of your entire life, you know? And so, um, you know, I feel like a karate master or something, you know, (laughs) who go, who goes in and, and they just keep working and working or, or a guitar player like Eric Clapton or someone like that. If, if you practice to be better every day and you do 45 years, you should, you should be okay at what you're doing. You should be, you should have, you should have what it takes by yeah. that time. If, if you don't, oh man, I don't know what to say. So that's, it, it that's gives my, you something to live for though. Every day when you, when you reflect back on the day before how it was, what went good what went bad and just like make these mental notes and show up tomorrow looking to be a little bit better. It's just such a better way of waking up every day just with that intention to be better than you were the day before. It gives you that reason. Like you said, it is, it is. But you know, also there's a a lot of folks when they work for you that sometimes are like, are you ever happy? (laughs) You know, are you ever happy with what I do? And and I'm like, yes, but today is a new day. This is the restaurant (laughs) business. We're only as good as what we do today. People don't care about yesterday in the restaurant business. You can't, you'll be like, oh, well, you, you know, you got an article in the New York Times or whatever, you know, 20 years ago or whatever. It's today, the people that come in, the people that eat, the people that are, that are there, that are forming a whole new opinion from yesterday. And so, I'm sorry, you know, you have got to do better every day. And I'm going to tell you if no people, what about all the days I did good? I'm like, fine. I love you for that, but you need to do this right. Or, and sometimes 
it's even something that they'll be, you told me to do it this way. And I'm like, I know, but I'm changing because I realize that's not the best way. And they're like, you confused me. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, so you said, was this your first job working under this uh, grumpy Italian woman? Or this is go- this it was, back it was my, no, it was my first job. It was, yeah, it was my, I went to a vocational high school um, for cooking. And I had a chef who was a graduate of the Culinary Institute of America. His name was Larry Albright, Chef Larry Albright. And he had these kids in this high school class that I would say 90% of them were only in that class to get out of academic studies <laughs> and to just get away from their high school and do something that they could just coast through. And then the other ones, and they were not – they're not motivated. I mean, I, I always felt bad for him because he really wanted to teach good stuff. So um, he latched on to myself and some other people in there, and we really had a great education. I mean, this was high school, and we were making cocovan, and you know, we were we were doing all kinds of international cuisine. We were making arroz con pollo and, and uh, we were learning about stocks and reductions and and we're in high school, you know, in the seventies. And so, um, and I loved it. I just, uh, I loved it. And so I, you know, everybody in my class was getting these jobs at a local diner or McDonald's or, you know, um, at the hospital or the VA hospital and, um, I went straight to this country club that was known as the best food in the area and walked in and the lady told me I had to get a haircut. <laughs> um, the first thing she saw, cause you know, my hair was a little longer. It's like that 70s show. You ever watch that? Yeah. Or days and confused. <laughs> you ever see that movie? Well, that this was in the seventies. Right. So I walk, I walk in there and she's like, um, do you want a job? I, I said, yes, ma'am. She goes, cut your damn hair and come in tomorrow <laughs> at 10 o'clock, you know? Awesome. <laughs> and so, I went to the Woolworth um, and I bought some hairnets. And uh, here's the funny thing about them. These hairnets came in a package with older women and flowers. And they're wearing these hairnets. And I was like, good God, I'm going to buy these. People are going to think I'm crazy. So I bought these hairnets and I came in with the hairnet on. She never said a word. And so I never cut my hair, but I came in with the hairnet. And, of course, I walked in and I said to her, um, okay, so what shall I do? But before I got finished with do, she started yelling at me saying, why are you so damn slow? Go downstairs and bring me up, you know, three heads of, of lettuce, bring me tomatoes, peppers, this. She gave me this list, huge list. So I said, um, can I write that down? She's like, what are you not listening to me? <laughs> so you know, I run, I don't even know where the storeroom is. She said, run down. So I just ran out of the room and started looking for stairs. And uh, that's, how my, that's how my career started. And when I came up, it's like, what the hell took you so long? Oh, man. Get this, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, I'm cutting. So what, what am I getting that? Do I have to wait for Christmas? I mean, and this is how it was. And so I'll never forget it. That woman, she was something else. But you know what? She ended up falling in love with me, which was oh, uh, yeah, that's great. really nice. She was um, she was top notch. So. So, yeah, my first job at the country club. And we, we've had good food, you know, all a la carte, you know, of course, things you don't see that much anymore. Like. So reflecting back at it, Chef, looking at this time of your life, what was it, in your opinion, that you think you fell in love with? Why why are you doing this work? What is it about this industry that just draws you to it? I got to tell you, I was – my mother loved 
food so much. In fact, she would cook for us a souffle, you know, a, a jamon and gruyere souffle. We'd come home from a soccer match and there would, she'd pull the souffle out. Or, um, and so I learned to really kind of love food, but I was picky. Like if I saw like an onion, I don't know, I freaked out. It was just, you know, I was a real picky eater, but I loved the food that she cooked. And so she loved James Beard and Julia Child. I mean, she, she loved them. And so she would go to any book signing or thing that they did, and she'd bring back the books. And and so if we went, my father was a physician, and, and so we traveled a lot while he would take these classes, these recertification classes. So whatever city we were in, my mom would have these books, or she'd have gourmet magazines packed up. She'd say, I remember this one restaurant in Chicago. So we'd go to these restaurants, and she would always call the chefs out. The chefs always seemed super happy, you know, like they were jovial and happy. And, um, and I remember thinking, you know, I like this job. This is a, you know, as a child, because my father was a doctor, he worked all the time. I saw my grandfathers were all doctors. Everybody was doctors and everybody was stressed out. So I thought, man, now that that's a good job right there. Those guys are making people happy. There's no stress in this industry at all. <laughs> I, I didn't know that, but in my, in my head, I'm like, these are happy guys. They're making people happy. That's yeah. what I want to do. And I, yeah. I said it from the time I was a little kid that I wanted to be a chef. And, and so when that opportunity came for the high school thing, I said, I'm going to do this. Now, my parents were kind of mortified because Votech school is not for an academic person. You're not going to learn anything. You're going to, you know, you're not going to go to college. So they were really against it. But the, um, the local um, guidance counselor says, you know, I'm going to put you through, even though your parents want me not to. And, uh, and here's the thing. I, I, um, I did not love academics at all. Yeah. And, um, my mind is different than most people. So How's I needed, what, what do you mean by that? I, I just needed that constant. I need something. I needed something in front of me Yeah, that, that was, I, I had to do, Stimulate. you know, it had a deadline. You know, when you're, when you're cooking and you have a wedding that starts at three o'clock, you don't tell them, you know what, things have happened. We'll do this next Saturday or we're going to wait till five o'clock. You can't be a minute late. And so it's a, it's a extreme motivator. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's, there is nothing that can stop you from getting done what you have to do in our industry. Nothing. Yeah. It can be, the water could go out, the electric could go off. It does not matter. You are not, <laughs> there is done. nothing. And so it's a, it's an extreme motivator. So I needed that. I needed that constant reminder as well as, um, I needed to have, um, something happening in my life all the time or else I'd be lazy, I think. So what I'm hearing is uh, it, originally it was just that sense of being able to make people happy and then that extreme uh, pressure, that extreme motivation right. to get the job yeah. done. And uh, I love how when we're young, you know, we see we see the world for what it is, you know. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because sometimes as we grow, we go to school, we, we get involved, we, we overcomplicate things and we lose sight of what it is that we do this work for. And really like what I've learned, like that's the, at the essence of it all is just, it's about making other people happy. It's about serving other people, not just right. in that moment, but how can you serve them in life? How can you give them the skills and knowledge to be successful? Like you've done with so many people. 
uh, with Brooks Tanner, you know, at the yeah. mentoring Brooks Tanner and all these other people. Uh, it's about serving other people in enabling them to have happy lives, man. Like that's what it all boils down to. And uh, do you agree in that statement? I agree with that. I agree a hundred percent. I mean, you know, there's all, there's a lot of tidbits that go along with what we do and what I, what I think makes people great in this industry. But the, the main thing is, is that you have to love it because you're not going to get paid well mm-hmm. and you're going to work a lot of hours and this is dirty. I mean, it is just dirty. I got to tell you the, when I mean dirty, I don't mean the food, but I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you got the deep fryers and you have the, you know, you have the hood system. And if you're cooking with wood, you have ash and I mean, you have grease and um, it's just, I remember my mother, you know, because she loved food so much. I was the executive sous chef at a place called the Mayflower Hotel in Washington, D.C. And she said, you know, let me come and work with you for a couple of days. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to allow you. In the I'm not kitchen. bringing my mom to work. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it wasn't that. It was just that, you know, I had two or three people working that were on parole for various various extremely aggressive assault style things and robbery and whatnot. And I, you know, I just had, it's just that, you know, this industry attracts a lot of people who had the same needs. I need, they need something that they're going to do that it's right there in their face and they got to get it done. And um, they're not going to be in an office where they're motivating themselves to, you know, put things together yeah. or whatnot. So, or, or they didn't have the skills. And I'm not saying that people in the restaurant business aren't intelligent or because I got to tell you, there are a lot of really just geniuses mm. that, are, that are, I've found in this business um, that blow my mind. And um, they humble me because of, you know, what they know mentally and the fact that they know that, but they're still in this industry and they, they're willing to take that plunge and, and not really make any money until they finally, you know, get things right. And so it's, if you don't have the passion, if you don't love it, you got to stay away from it because it'll eat you up. And I've seen countless people who have come to me who went to chef school because of their passion and two years, three years, they're in another industry. Um, also restaurant owners, so many people go in and spend their life savings from, you know, whatever job they had and they they just, they're into it. And, you know, two years, not even two years, sometimes one year, they're, they're bankrupt and they're out of the business and, and more people than not. So it is a small percentage. Yeah. You know, and sorry, I don't need to cut you off, but typically at this point of the interview, what I try to do is paint a path on how people got to where they are, uh, you know, 45 years, 40, was it 40? Yeah. 45 years in the industry. We don't have enough time to cover everything you've done. So I want to take a different approach with you. I I, I want you to tell me after 45 years of seeing people open restaurants, fail people, open restaurants, succeed. I want you to tell me the best, the best possible path we should take if we're interested in getting into this industry, or if we are in this industry, we want to be successful. What's the best path for us to take to be successful. <laughs> you know, I, there's a lot of paths. There's a lot. Of I options. gotta tell you, I, uh, there are many times where I thought I had this thing figured out and I had the like key to the universe. But then I see, I've seen people succeed in areas that I thought were impossible 
to succeed or in ways. So I don't have like a clear answer because this industry humbles me yeah. um, for what happens. But this is my thought process only. One, do not lease a property if you're going to go in the restaurant business. Buy your building. Why? Now, I've told this to many people and many people lease and have made it. Okay. And they've done they've done well. Many. But one trillion people have done it and not made it. How many leased properties at nice shopping centers and different places are you able to go buy equipment and buy a restaurant for seventy thousand, fifty thousand, walk in? And these people have put three, four, five, six hundred thousand and lost it all. Millions of restaurants are available in the United States in a lease property. I, I would never do it. And so when you buy your property, now you have equity happening in the property. Now, I wouldn't, I'm not the kind of person that would go out and find the best location in the world. I would find a location that I feel like I could make best in the world because it's got to have value. You, you have to buy a value property. But this is in my mind. You buy a property and then you have this leverage because the equity is building as you're doing things to this building. Mm -hmm. I put $8,000 of concrete in one of my buildings the other day. It's not, it's my building. I don't feel bad about putting that concrete there because I know my value of my building just went up. Yep. When I'm, when I'm leasing and I put a nice bathroom in and I put all those little, you know, all those accoutrements and everything, I'm feeling bad. This is not my building. If I don't make it, I'm leaving. I can yeah. put everything up for auction, but you're going to get 10 cents, 15 cents on the dollar for an auction. And so you buy your building, you're building equity, and now the bank is willing to talk to you because of this equity. And at the same time, now you can get cash flow, which is how people make it when they yeah. go into business in a leased property. The people that make it, it's all about their cash flow. And so that's my thing. Buy your building. My my wife and I went in our, our first place that we, we went into business, we leased. We called it the Chef's Corner on the Outer Banks. It was it was a great place. It was fantastic. You know, we made all fresh bread all day long, fifteen different kinds. We made desserts for twenty different restaurants. We did catering. We had a wine shop. We had you know, we you could come buy all kinds of food and you could buy dinners to go, you know, like in the beginning of that time period where people started doing these gourmet shops and stuff. I made pâtés and gallons and charcuterie, cakes. I went work at four in the morning. I got off at nine at night and uh, I was proud. But the bottom line was, you know, you get $3 for a loaf of bread. You got to sell a lot of loaves of bread, you know, to make your rent, to pay your insurance, you know, all the things that you need to do. And then the second thing was, don't base your entire business on your own talent. Mm. So um, our first business, yeah, I had pâtés, galantines, terrines. So people were buying stuff. I had cakes and pastries. And I remember there is a store on the Outer Banks of North Carolina all over the place. And it's there in Virginia Beach. They're called Wings. And Wings is a souvenir shop. And it was started in the shopping center that I was in. It was an Israeli man. Actually, his name was Israel. Israel 
would come in for lunch every day. And one day I decided, you know, cause I was on my high horse, you know, you, you know um, how chefs are. <laughs> Sometimes we think we know everything. No. So here I am and I'm like, Israel, how do you get off on selling these t-shirts and towels that you could just like, they're like paper. You could tear them away. People come in, they spend money. They're, they're just, you know, so low in quality and blah, I went on and on. And Israel just started laughing at me. And I said, I said, what's so funny? He goes, okay, Craig. He goes, what time do you go to work? I said, four. What time do you get off? He says, 10. I said, 10. He said, this is a really nice cake right here. Who else on that whole Outer Banks can make this cake? I said, no one, only me. He said, how about these cool pâtés, terrine, smoked salmon? Who, who makes this here? Who do you have? Who on the Outer Banks makes it? I said, no one. And then he started laughing. He goes, do you have this? And he reaches in his pocket. He pulls out a wad of cash. I mean, my God, it must have been $10,000. And he, I, he said, do you have this? And I, I, I just went, I, I, I. And then he said, I go to work at, we open at 10, I go to work at 10. We close at 9, I go home at 5. I have people that just take stuff out of boxes, put them on shelves, sell them. The guy has like 20 stores now. And I remember he walked away and, I, and it really hit me that, you know, I had based everything on myself. I trained people, but the level of things we were doing were on the level of the best pastry chef that you would see at the Four Seasons Hotel or and the charcuterie we were doing were on, on the level of the best places in France. Where do you find people like that? You can try to train people, but they have to love it. Mm. And, you know, so, so it was a, it was a big lesson for me that, you know, now I have to start looking at things a little bit differently. One, I got to own the building Two, I have to do something that I can train people and they can execute it, that they don't have to be the top 1% of culinary people in the entire universe, that they, they can get it done. And, and then the next thing that I learned was you gotta, you have to make people happy, period. That's your job. You can't. And I learned this when I, I was the, my first chef's job after chef school was Pinehurst hotel, Pinehurst country club. I became the executive chef. I was 21 years old. We had 300 people in the culinary team. <clears throat> and, um, you know, I think back to this and I'm like, what, what were they thinking making me the chef? But they did. And I remember they had a menu in the members dining room, super beautiful dining room, unbelievable, with smoked glass, three sides. I mean, it was really gorgeous. And they had a, they had a menu, you know. Filet Mignon, New York Strip, Delmonico, you know, they had so it was like, you know, get it grilled or broiled or and then get these sides, steak, fries, baked potato, whatnot. I thought, you know what? I'm going to show them that I'm a real chef. So I changed the entire menu, went off French. This was the 70s, you know, late 70s. I'm going to go off French, you know. So, you know, I had all of this really nice Escoffee-esque food, you know, and, uh, and we were doing everything from scratch. It was beautiful, you know. It was fantastic. But I had the fish of the day, poisson du chef. And I remember the waiter came in. People did not like this menu, by the way. So it was like people were just talking all kinds of smack to these members that were coming in. This was North Carolina, Pinehurst. 
So the waiter comes in and he said, this guy wants to talk to you out there. So I went out and the guy goes, what the hell is this shit? And I was like, uh, sir, excuse me. He goes, the only thing I like on this menu is poison du chef. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, I remember getting so upset. But, you know, remember the whole thing, do things better tomorrow than you did yesterday. I remember thinking on that and thinking, you know what? If I'm not giving people what they want, then I'm not making them happy. Mm. It doesn't really matter what I want as a chef. And I don't know how many percentage of restaurants in the world there are that the chef can do whatever he wants and make people happy. It's a very small percentage, yeah. very small. But they're there. I went to Azurmende in May in, um, in Spain. Azurmende, arguably one of the best restaurants in the world. And, you know, that chef does whatever he wants. But you know what? People are happy because they're at Azurmende. It's an incredible experience, like 11 Madison. Um, 11 Madison. You've got a, right now, yeah. the best <laughs> restaurant. You go there. Um, life-changing culinary event. You don't question the chef. You get what he gets. And you don't say, hey, dude, I want steak fries. But not only – it's a, such a small percentage of restaurants in the world that operate like that. But there's a million restaurants that act like they want to operate like yeah. that and they fail because everybody wants to be an artist. And if you if you think you're an artist and people are going to love my food because I am the greatest chef in the world, then you're going to fail if you're not in the right place and you don't have the right pedigree because you know what? People want to be happy. And they're not going to come there and think you're a genius. They're going to come there and say, what the hell is this stuff? You know, so, so what do you think is the difference between those few uh, restaurateurs, those few executive chefs that do pull it off? I got to tell you, it's the whole package. And this is another thing that I believe in. When I say the whole package, um, Donna and I used to be partners with Clifton Inn in Charlottesville. And I remember – talking with Donna saying, look, everything's got to be perfect. The driveway and the lighting and the driveway and people pull in and see the sign. And then when they, when they pull in the valet parker or however the parking has to be perfect, they walk in what they smell, what they hear, what's the music inside sound like, what's the ambience when they sit down. Um, I mean, everything has to click mm -hmm. from the, from the beginning to the end. And these restaurants, they're not fly by night. They have a clear vision of everything that they do, including today's fine restaurants. They even have a designer who the chef says, here's my dish that I want to serve. And that designer creates a, a serving implement. I don't even know what to call them, but they'll come up with some way to serve that dish in a manner that is art in itself. So it's a process, a hundred or a thousand processes that start from the beginning to the end. They have a hundred percent commitment. It's not, it's not something that just happens. Those restaurants are not like our restaurant, the barbecue exchange where our whole goal was to make people happy and to do old school artisan barbecue where you can come and sit at a picnic table with a paper tablecloth. Even though we had the same thought process, we want these processes from the beginning to the end. These guys are, they're a hundred percent, financially invested, mm -hmm. mentally invested, physically invested. 
there's they don't leave anything to chance, and that's why they that's why they are who they are. Yeah. And then, but not um, everybody is that person. Like it takes a special person. It really does to, to swing that. It's uh, I'm 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 blown away, and I, I'll take Eleven Madison as a as an example. Um, Will Gadara and um, um, Kirk Kellaway, who's the general manager, Will, one of the owners, and there's the chef. But these two guys, they worked at, they went to Cornell University when I was the chef for the hotel school. And in my mind, you know, and having them in these classes, seeing them execute um, special events and the things they did, I, I always knew that a lot of these students were way over the top geniuses and they were going to go way further than I ever could dream of. But I, I never, I never dreamed that they would be where they are today. And when we went to eat at 11 Madison, they, they just, you know, Donna and I walked in and, and they, you know, their, their front people said, welcome, you know, chef Hartman and Donna. And they didn't know us. Wow. You know, they had put a picture up in the back and they said, everybody, this guy walks in, you say, you know, it's that, <laughs> it's that level of thought process. When they walk in, you make sure you tell them, welcome chef Hartman and, and Donna. And so that's a high level, but that's just the beginning. And then it goes, you know, through this whole process. And I've always said that here's number five, maybe I don't even know what number I'm on, but the other thing is service is key. Service trumps food in every aspect and because you can make the best food in the world and you could serve that food. But if the service is not good, people are not coming back. They're not, they could care less if you have the best food in the world, but you could have mediocre food and the best service in the world and people are coming back. They don't care. And so now if they're paying $350 a person, they might, they might want the whole package. But like I said, we're talking about, I don't know how many restaurants in the world, 300, 400 restaurants, 500 restaurants like that. And most of them do well because they're on top of it. Yeah. And, 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 but they are living it, invested in it. <laughs> they are, there's nothing outside of that, that world, but service is number one. That's the key. And so, um, if you don't have good service, you can kiss, your restaurant goodbye. Man, up to this point, we have number one, do not lease <laughs> buy. Number two, don't base uh, your entire business on your talents. Number three, make people happy. Number four, service is key is what I have. Uh, and, yeah. you know, just to reflect on some of the things you shared, um, the whole idea behind don't base your entire business on your talent don't base your entire business on somebody else's talent either, uh, yeah, which, is, which is something I see people make a mistake. They have the chef and the chef's killing it and there's an issue with culture or a disagreement. And then that person bails, you know, jump ship and they're screwed. The business owner is screwed because they can't replace that person. You and the, the E-Myth talks about this, which is a great book. Everyone needs to read if they want to open a business, any yeah. business, uh, the E-Myth. And he says, you know, make system dependent restaurants or businesses, not people dependent businesses. But if you create those system dependent operations, you put amazing people into them, man, you're unstoppable. Right. Yeah, um, it's true. That That is, and that's a, it's a hard lesson to learn. That was hard for us to learn that lesson. And also as owners, both my wife and myself, 
you have to, with the people that you put in that are good, you have to allow them to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. You can't, you can't have a culture where, um, your policies dictate everything. You have got to be flexible because if you do a set of policies, I, I learned one time when I was a, I was a, ho I was a hotel chef and it was a union and I had this little union book. I kept it in my pocket. And so, but there wasn't one person who worked there who could follow every policy in there. So it was easy for me to, you know, weed people out if I was consistent on everything that I did. But I found it, you know, just like, oh God, it was, it was like someone was stuffing a pillow over my head. The thing is, you have got to allow people to, you got to allow people flexibility to make mistakes and show them that you are going to forgive them for those mistakes and move forward. That's the only way you can really build trust. And then those people know that, you know what? I can make a decision because you want them to make a decision. You're not there. You want them to make the right decision. Sometimes they'll make the wrong decision. But, you know, the whole thing, our, our mantra, make people happy. That is a at all costs mantra, you know. Yeah. So if someone says, you know, I don't like these ribs, you know, these ribs are red. And, they, you know, the manager says, well, you know, the smoke causes red. Well, I, don't, I just my stomach doesn't feel good. Well, we don't say, well, OK, fine here's your money back we say what else can we get you anything name yeah. name something on the menu what do you want you want you want brisket you want you want sausage you know how can we make you happy and sometimes we'll go a little overboard but the thing is if that person walks out that door happy they're coming back that's right yeah and that's what's important make sure people are happy right at the end of the story you know people when, when mistakes happen uh we freak out and we're like oh we lost them but those opportunities, when, when mistakes do happen and somebody's unhappy, are the times to shine because it's what you're willing to do to get them back in that moment that will win them over. It's not game over until they leave. What can you right. do to win them back? And it's how far you're willing to go to make sure they're happy. That will blow their socks off. Yeah. Um, and, oh man, you, you just dropped some gold on us. Uh, and it was very subtle, but it's huge. Uh, one of the lessons I learned through talking to many people is the power of just relationships, people in general. But the difference between good restaurants and great restaurants is that great restaurants have, uh, they don't have employees. They have a team of leaders, everyone, they enable everyone to be a leader and they give the people those values, uh, that you need the principles you need to be great. Uh, but what you just shared that I think is that really ties into this is the idea of, Allowing people to make mistakes and knowing that you have their back when they will, you will forgive them. Because if people aren't empowered to make their own decisions and do the right thing, then nothing will ever happen. Uh, it's true. Which is, I think, I mean, I don't know if I tied that together well. Um, I think you did good. Thank you. <laughs> but like the whole idea is like, in order to create that culture of leaders of where everyone's a leader, people need to feel like they can make a decision and not have the world come crashing down around them. So what energy are you putting out there? How are you enabling people to make these decisions and will you forgive them when they do screw up? Um, so awesome stuff. Uh, it is true. You know, I'm, I'm happy we're talking about people right now. One thing that really, uh, 
that I admire about you and the, the research that I've done, what I've heard from people talking about you is your ability to be a mentor, your ability to empower other people, to develop other people, to push other people to be great. Brooks Tanner is a great example. I think it was you or his professor, the, the chef, yeah, and he was working under true. you. Um, where, how did he come in? Was he a dishwasher? You know what? He uh, When I got there, he was already working. He was on work study. You know, He was a natural resources major. That's right. That's right. And, you know, walking into Cornell University was sobering for me because these students were so, so bright. It wasn't like going into a chef school. Now, I'm not going to say that chef school students aren't bright because there are people from all walks of life and chefs. And I, I love these chefs. But these, most of these people, let's say 99.9% did not want to be a chef. They wanted to be an owner operator. Maybe they wanted to be a real estate developer. Um, maybe they wanted to be, you know, a hotel asset manager. I don't know. They have all kinds of of things. Maybe they want to be a sommelier, but the thing that linked them together, there was not a person in there who wasn't like their valedictorian of their school or these kids are unbelievable. I just, they blew my mind. I could not lie to any of these kids. They would right. go home. They would go home and research what I said and come back. You know, <laughs> you, you lied to me and I'd be like, I know I was just messing with you. But so I, I had to learn. <laughs> but um, so Brooks, by the way, he was um, uh, he was the person when I walked in who did the scheduling for the students. Imagine running a hotel that did eight million dollars in food sales, and seventy five percent of your um, culinary team was part time. When I say part time, I mean literally one shift a week. Wow. Um, and and he was they all were, that. <laughs> and they were all students. And so you'd have banquets, wow. weddings, you know, look, we're the hotel in the middle of the university, you know, so architecture schools having a, in one room is having a meet and greet. And then, you know, the, you know, the, the folks that raise the money are in another with the person who, who did a grant and they're in another room. And so, and then you have the three restaurants running and you have all these students working, they all work one shift and none of them have a culinary background. And so, uh, and then you have Professor XYZ who decides that the freshman class is going to have a quiz for his, his class. It happens to be a prerequisite for every freshman or every first year. And so instead of having the different classes have the quiz, you're going to pull them all together on Thursday night at seven o'clock to do this quiz. And now everybody who's working from that class is gone and they tell you, you know, the morning of, I got a quiz. And, you know, school comes first. Culinary. And, you know, Statler Hotel in Cornell University is a teaching hotel. It's like a medical center. So those students all over the place. Well, if someone pops a quiz, those students are leaving. And you as a teaching support specialist, which is what you are when you're a, when you're a, a chef or a whatever, you're the front desk manager, you have to let those people go and figure it out. Well, Brooks, he was really good at this thing. I mean, he, and he was good at recruiting students to work. And so, um, you, you know, I saw right away, I said, look, they, I got to this hotel and the culinary team was doing all the food purchasing on a yellow tablet. And I'm, I'm like, no, this is not working. <laughs> so, I, I sat after I made the system, I put Brooks in as the person to do purchasing also. 
and um, he just grew from there. He's a, he's unbelievable. And so I, I'm super thankful. And here's the other thing that every person who, who ends up working, I, I have, I have a keen respect for whether it's the dishwasher or the manager because of the things they do and the sacrifice they make, especially in the business we have now. I'm thankful and my wife is thankful for every person and everything that they do because they work hard and they do it for us and um, they do it for the guests. And so, you know, I, I respected Brooks a lot and his talents and the fact that, you know, he had a, he had a problem with the school when they had a hiring freeze and they made me let him go. Um, and he had, he was in between the natural resource school and the hotel school. So he wasn't actually a student for like three weeks. So when they had this hiring freeze, they, because look, it's a school. Remember the policies and whether you can be flexible or not. Well, no flexibility university. Oh, sorry. You just fired yourself because he went down to literally put his thing in as, okay, I'm now turning to a full-time employee till I get back in the hotel school. And so I'm just changing my, you know, yeah. my term here. And they're like, oh, we have a hiring freeze. Can't have anybody. You got to leave. And so um, I, Brooks was mad. I didn't hear from him for about three or four months. They lift the hiring freeze. And I had to literally search for him. And I found him working in a speedy joint in Binghamton. And I, I basically, I heard he was working a speedy joint. If you've ever been in the southern tier of New York, it's like a sub shop in New Jersey. You know what I mean? Okay. So it was like 500. So I just got, you know, I got the phone book. I started with A and I started calling this Brooks there, it's Brooks there, it's Brooks there. <laughs> and I finally hit a place in Johnson City and they're like, yeah, Brooks is right here. I'm like, put him on the phone. <laughs> he gets on the phone. I'm like, where have you been? Get back here to work. He's like, no, they messed with me. And I'm like, no, you, you're coming back to work. I need you. And, uh, and then he was with me for many years and came to, um, came to Keswick Hall as our culinary coordinator and sous chef. So yeah, you know, when it comes to people, you just, you see what they have that's, that's special and you tap into it. Yeah, man, that's it. Like you just summed it up right there. It's identifying, you know, to be successful in this industry, you have to have that eye to see greatness in other people. And when you do see it, it's what Jim Collins, you know, when he says putting the people, you know, getting them on your bus, then putting them in the right seat. And you have to see that whatever that it factor is in these people and then push them to bring it out. A lot of times these young people, they don't even know what their strengths are. The world is still happening to them. They're not happening to the world yet. And it's your responsibility to let them happen to the world, find their greatness, bring it out, challenge them, push them to be something truly great. And you did that for books. look where he is now. Let me ask you a question. Do you think he would be in the position he is now if he had never met you? Yeah, he would have been. Well, yeah, I mean, but not. No, like, I'm going to tell you that because he, he's, he's he's that amazing. kind of person. But the, he, I don't know, I don't know what he would be doing. Um, because I definitely had to sell him on staying in the business. Yeah, but um, you know, I hope that I I played a good role. Yeah, in his in his life, I I really do. But I I try not to overstate it. Yeah, because these people, a lot of them already have a lot of a lot of greatness in them, and you know they they find their way and it's, it's up to us to find those people. It's one of the things that I, you know, I always, one of the first questions I ask, I don't know, you might have this as a question later. One of the main questions I ask when I'm interviewing people is what's their life goal? 
I want to hear what they have to say. You know, if they say, oh, I don't really have one. I'm just, you know, already I'm like, what do you mean you don't have one? That's ridiculous. But, you know, it's the people that come that have kind of a clear vision of what their life will not night might not be exactly where they're headed, but they have a thought process. You know, we always say that a man without vision shall perish. You know, you got to have a vision. You got to know you got to have a roadmap. And I would always draw this for people. I say, look, have you ever driven to New York city? And they're like, uh, yeah. I said, did you just get in your car and drive or did you have a map? And they'd be like, yeah. well, yeah, I got a map. I got a GPS or whatever. And it's like, you got to have a GPS for your life. You know, yeah. you, you got to map what you want to do, where you want to be. Planet. My goal, my goal in my whole life changed a few years ago. Um, I, I, my goal was to get a Michelin star. What year was I wanted this? A, you said a few years ago. When, when I say, I say, I don't know, six years, seven, eight years ago. That's for me a few 2010, years. when you opened? Yeah, yeah. The, right the before I opened. Change? I wanted a Michelin star. I would do anything for, you know, so I pushed people and pushed people and worked from, you know, 7 a.m. to 10, 11 at night. I worked lots of times seven days a week. I pushed people past their breaking point, you know. Um, and I always told people when I went to place, look, we're going to be the best in America. And they'd be like, oh, whatever. And I'm like, look. Whoever can't believe we're going to be the best America can leave right now. You know, when I'd pull the teams together because you you aim high because you only hit what you aim at. So we're, we're going to aim for that and we're going to go after it. Keswick Hall, for instance, Condé Nast Traveler ended up calling us the best small luxury hotel in the Americas from the tip of Argentina to Alaska and number two in the entire world for food. It's not a mistake that those things happen. It's hard work and and – and it's like I said, everything is put into a process and you push people, but it's not easy to work in places like that. And I remember working night and day and I'd be, you know, daytime prepping or putting out some lunches and buffets, you know, going to those meetings, which I never loved anyway. I'm never the biggest administrative chef in the world, but you, know, you have to do it. And then. You know, working at night, expediting, running food. We, you know, I worked for Orient Express Hotels. We had a thing at Orient Express Hotels called the Signature Dinner. So if someone checks in and says, you know, my wife, I'm going to give her a ring for our 50th anniversary. I'd like a special dinner. They'd say, where do you want it? I'd say, ah, how about the 18th tee of the golf course? Or, you know, how about by the lake or at the pool or at our room's balcony? And then I would go meet with those people. We'd create a menu and then we'd we do these menus, these signatures. It could happen any day. I could have two or three of them. So I'd be running food to this room, to that room, outside. And I remember just, I'm like, man, I'm 50, 50 years old. I'm starting to feel a little tired, you know. And uh, could I, can I keep going on this track where I want to do this? And also, I have a family who I don't didn't see very much all those years. I have a son and a daughter and, and a wife who really threw everything miraculously backed me up in all of the dreams that I had to do this. And, um, because this business is, is nuts. And then, um, I didn't have any money, you know? <laughs> so it was like, I'm going to work for this living. And if I don't have retirement, I'm going to, I had to make a, a thing in my head. I remember saying one day, I just said, you know, God, and, and I, I have, a, I'm a person of faith. And so I remember saying, this is it. 
if I if I don't make it for retirement, if I don't have the money I need to retire or to live out my life, I'm going to have to just make peace that this is how I'm going to live. I'm going to work these hours. I'm going to just keep pushing and I'm not going to worry about that anymore, you know, because I, you know, I used to have, I'd look at other people that, that made it in different areas and, and I'd, I'd feel a little bad for myself, but I, I just made peace with it. And it was until I made peace that, you know, I don't need to have a Michelin star. I need, oh, I also had grandchildren. And, you know, these grandchildren will definitely change your life when you hold them and look at them and love them. And I wanted to better when it came to being a husband and a grandfather. So um, I made peace with it. And then we found this building and um, purchased the building and, you know, did the business plan and everything. And I think I think another goal is if you're going to talk to banks, have your act together, take your entire history, write a good business plan, make sure that it really makes sense and um, be a hundred percent invested. So when they talk to you about this business plan, you are just, you are so passionate and belief oriented towards this. that there's nothing they can do, but to give you the money to, um, <laughs> to do this. Get you and office. you know, and you know, banks do not like financing restaurants. No, you know, it's a, uh, it's not good, but you know what? And, and Donna and I wrote this business plan while I was working at Keswick 80 hours a week. So the night and the day and, and, um, but we wanted to do this, this restaurant. We wanted to do something that appealed to every person that we didn't have to have a partner. That might've been the other key, yeah. but it's not a key because a lot of restaurants, you need a partner, but we didn't want a partner. Um, we had each other, though. I mean, I, 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 don't, I think it's yeah. funny when people who get married uh, go into business together. Like a, their their partner in life is their their business partner. Like that's absolutely right. a partner. Yeah, <laughs> true, true. We didn't want an outside partner because it's hard enough, you know, when you're trying to get things right to have someone who may not understand completely your your thought yeah. process. And if you talk to people like Brooks or other people that work for, I'm never. I've never been like the easiest person to work for and mainly because I believe that we can do things that are impossible. And sometimes it's hard for them to subscribe to that thought process. Well, how's that going to happen? We can't, I'm like, what do you mean we can't? We can and we will do this oh, and man. it's going to happen and get on board. You know? And so a lot of times they have to get on board. I have, we have one employee who's really our right hand, and she calls it the Jedi mind tricks. Can you do your Jedi mind tricks? I'm like, they're not Jedi mind. It's like, look, you, it's it's the thing. So not always the easiest to work for. No, so it, you know, it's that, it's that. Getting back to what I was saying, though, it's you know, there was that time period where my goals shifted. It's the pivot, and it wasn't until I became peaceful with the fact that. This is my life. If I end up working night and day and I have to work at hotels and I get older and I don't have the same, I don't have the same, um, kind of, it's not even the passion, then it's physicality, you know. How can you stand with these kids that are working the line every night <laughs> and go toe to toe with them? Because it's like athletics, you know. Mm. And, uh, but could I do this till I'm 75, till I, you know, whenever I, I decide to, you know, 
walk across the river per se, but could I do this forever? And I made peace and said, you know what? I, I can do this. This is, I'm just going to keep, I'm going to keep plugging away and I'll do this for as long as it takes. And this is who I am. And, and, uh, and, you know, being able to say, let's, let's, let's take the step and try to go in business. And, you know, I tried to write business plans before and I tried to write books before because I had a book deal one time when I was at Clifton. But, you know, when you're, when you're trying to be the best in the kitchen, you can't do everything yourself because it takes hours and hours of preparation to make the best food in the world. So, um, you know, it was just stay up all night and get this thing done so that we can open this business. And it, it worked out for us. So we're thankful. We're super thankful. So I'm, I'm happy we're kind of present time uh, talking about what you got going on now. That's something I like to cover before going to the speed sure. round. So real quick, um, tell us a little bit more about the barbecue exchange, why you took, uh, you know, after 37 years of working in hotels and fine dining, why you chose this path and uh, are you applying these four things that you taught us uh, to buy to, to make it uh, not dependent on people? Like take us through why it's successful right now. I, I got to tell you the, um, I always had a thing in my heart for cooking on wood. In fact, even at the nice places, I always had something outside to cook on wood and, and use that in the menus and everything. Cause I, I, I love, I love that style of cooking. Mm. And so I always wanted to also do something where I could be outside for a lot of the day. You know, I've been working, you know, you work in hotel kitchens or restaurants, you, you usually don't have any windows, you know, there's not great ventilation. I wanted to be outside. So I thought this would be great. And I also, underestimated barbecue i thought it would be a lot simpler than it was and i don't mind saying that i i make a lot of mistakes but i learned from them remember so i um i uh i really underestimated the amount of work um that goes into real barbecue but you know i thought it would be simple and i actually thought i could stay uh with orient express hotels for a while or or do another thing and still own this restaurant but it turned out a little bit different. But we, you know, it was a goal I had, and we were believing. Uh, remember, I told you I'm a person of faith, so we were we had been believing for a long time to find some sort of a building that we could buy because we didn't, and we we didn't want to partner, so we didn't have a lot of cash to put in. And you know, you do a fine dining restaurant, you have to have a designer, you have to get Christoffel mm-hmm. flatware and Billboard Bach or Fortessa, you know, all the you know three levels of tablecloths and whatnot. But with the barbecue place, I really felt like we could go in on a shoestring and mm-hmm. open something up because it's got to have a, a, a rusticity to it that people know that it's real. Yeah. And so, you know, we found the building. Walk, driving down the road one day, this building had a plywood sign with spray paint that said four, the number four, sale by owner. And the place was falling apart. And I just, it hit me. I said, Donna, look at that. That looks like a barbecue restaurant. She's like, uh, oh, for, no. <laughs> for, you know, for who? And I said, for us. He goes, oh, in our spare time, you know, but anyway, so I, I, you know, I went in, looked at the building, put an offer on it while she was away. Her father was, was in the hospital. So I, I, you know, I called, oh, actually, no, she was actually, she was watching our grandkids, so our son and his wife would go to a wedding. And I called her and I said, look, I looked at that building. I put an offer. But, you, you know, if you don't like it, we're, I'm going to just pull the offer. So she came down, looked at it. it. It was a mess. But, you know, we had a vision and we took it apart and we put it together. And, and um, you know, we worked night and day. And we did it on a shoestring. I, I drew the plans, you know, on graph paper. You know, I go into the building department. This is not done by an architect, you know. This is a chef who, who got out a ruler, you know. 
And uh, I had one of those really cool little catering gizmos that you draw tables and stuff. And, um, I learned about doing overlays. So, you know, you have your, you know, you have your electrical and you have your plumbing. I didn't, you know, but I had to learn because every time I went in the building, the guy says, no, you need this. And I'd be like, okay, back to the drawing board. But, you know, we did it. We got it passed. You know, there were a lot of miracles that happened for us to get this building passed. And one of them was, V dot study because you know you have a restaurant you need a deacceleration lane things you don't think of you know and we bought this building no deacceleration lane <laughs> so you know we went to the the town of Gordonsville and it was totally up to the they didn't have a zoning person at the time it was the town manager she could have said yeah you need to this could be a lot for the town you need to do this and that but she said you know what Craig ah you're fine and um. It was in her hands, you know, and why, she could have put it. Why do you think she looked at you in the situation and said, you're fine? Was it about, was it because it was you or? I, I don't know. I think it, here's one of the things I, I believe after all this process, when you're working with officials, tell them the truth, mm. you know, just tell them the truth and look them in the eyes and let them know you're an honest person. You're not trying to, you're not trying to go behind their back and pull things just show them everything, tell them the truth. And, you know, they knew my history. You know, I, I was in this area for a long time, Clifton Inn, which became Relay and Chateau, was one of the top five historic hotels in the world. And then, of course, Keswick Hall. So, you know, that's many years of, of being in the area. And, I, we, you know, I we believe in giving. So, you know, March of Dimes, Chef's Auction, food, you know, um, you know, all the different giveaways and, and, you know, demos and whatnot. So people knew who I was and I had the, you know, I was on a radio. So they knew who I was, but I, I didn't lie to them. I told them the truth. I showed them everything. And I told them, you tell me what I have to do mm -hmm. instead of me telling them what I thought they had to do. And I think, I think that approach, people would rather help you than not. Mm -hmm. You know, because they know that you're you're doing things the right, and so we—that's the approach we went with the whole thing. You know, we our building ended up not having a ridge pole in the roof. You know how they have a ridge pole and the rafters are yeah. connected to it. This thing, the rafters were nailed to each other, <laughs> and so this was built in 1904. They, when when we took the old drop ceiling out of this little building, the building inspector looked up and said, "Whoa." You know, you need to put a ridge pole. You need to put a, you know, you need to put some concrete pads and have some, you know, beams that come up. And I mean, all this, you know, so, and I didn't say, no, we don't want to do that. I just, you know, everything they said, I said, okay. And it costs us more to get it done, but it's our building. Remember? Yeah. So I, I'm happy. I look at that building and I yeah, said, you know, I, I, I put this into it and I have a building that's historic in nature and it's, just getting better and better every year that we add stuff. So, so yeah, that was, I think that was the approach just going to them and saying, look, here's my deal. If, if I have to do a V dot study, it's going to kill me. It's going to cost $50,000 and you know, I don't have that money. And I'm looking at the clock right now. Did you want to finish? Your thought? Did, I, did I just cut you off? 
No, no, no. Okay. Uh, we're already over an hour. Uh, I still All need right. to get a failure from you, and then we need to bust out a speed round. Uh, you got it. You're crushing it. I don't, I don't, I don't want to get in your way because you're just dropping gold on us right now. But uh, when was the time you failed? Can you bring us through a failure, a time where you really fell on your ass, Chef, and tell us? Uh, maybe, I mean, we fail every day. Like you say, like you're always failing. Have- but take us through the one that really hurt you and the one that you learned the most from. Yeah, yeah. I think um, – I think my biggest, I got, I got so many failures. Jeez. <laughs> you can't, you can't. I, I think, you know, when we opened the chef's corner and uh, we leased that property and we, we based everything on, on our talents. Um, and I had no idea really about business at the time. I thought because I was a great chef, this stuff was just going to happen because we did the best weddings. We did everything the best um, that we would, we would succeed. And um, that's not what happened, you know, we got behind on taxes. You know, I'm not don't mean our tax. I'm talking about income taxes for our employees, and like all these things happen. And we just really, we really, I made a lot of mistakes on following up, making sure I was doing things the right way when it came to the whole administration. Mm-hmm. And and you know, we had to give that business away. And you know, when you put in five, six years of hard labor and you got to give that business away. So when I, when I look at a business, when I look at a restaurant that's going in, I know that whoever's putting that restaurant in has guts. No, nobody does this without guts because it's fearful, you know? And so we took that experience, Donna and I, and that's when we started forming. Okay. We're going to make sure we buy a building. We're going to make sure we don't have any outside partner that we're going to do the things we could, we're going to make sure that we have a tax account that everything gets pushed over. We never touch. We're going to make sure that, you know, we have a plan and we have processes for everything that we do, but we have a vision, a clear vision for the people that are working. And we're going to take everything we learn and we're going to make sure we don't fail in those areas. Um, and so that was a, it was like going to business school, having that business. And mm. <laughs> we worked. I'm like, it wasn't for lack of hard work because we worked night and day on that business and having to walk away from it um, was like getting punched in the stomach and kicked in the back of your head. And I'm not the only one with that, with that experience. We're not the only ones. There's millions of people who've done this business and had to walk away and they, they feel that way. So we have a, we have a, we have an empathy for anyone who does this business. When I drive past a restaurant at night and there's no cars there at like seven o'clock or six o'clock, it, it hurts. Mm. You know, it, I feel it and I feel bad. So that's the thing, you know, and not, and, and that's really my biggest failure. Actually thinking that, you know, I could make something work and I didn't have it planned out enough to, to make it work, work your plan, plan your work. Uh, yep. have that vision, like you said, and really just leave no stir- stone unturned. Um, beautiful stuff. We're going to take a quick break to, to thank our sponsor, sure thing. and we'll be right back. We've all been there. I'm sure you have been uh, just going through that stack of menus every night, pulling out the nasty, soiled, expensive pieces of paper, putting them aside, throwing them away. God, it's so frustrating. This is a line item that just gets the best of us. It destroys our budget and people are so freaking dirty. It's like, ah, 
Anyway, what if I told you that I discovered a piece of paper that's rip-proof and waterproof, 100% rip-proof and waterproof. This stuff is so durable, it's what the military uses to print their navigational maps and charts on. Like They trust this stuff, and now they're printing menus on it. Head over to TerraSlate.com paper.com to learn more guys i'm telling you this stuff is durable i've seen the owner kyle ewing throw this menu through a dishwasher to prove its durability again terra slate paper.com that's t-e-r-r-a-s-l-a-t-e paper.com and if you use promotional code unstoppable you will save 15 percent on your first order get after it I will not sit here and tell you that I have the secret sauce to marketing. The truth is the best way to market your restaurant is to do an incredible job for walls marketing, busting your ass, providing incredible experiences, and just being the best at what you do. That's how you market your restaurant. The second best way to market your restaurant is direct marketing. This is any way you connect directly with your guest, and it goes beyond phone calls and, and snail mail today. Social media, Facebook ads, emails, text messaging, Wi-Fi, mobile phones, apps. There's so many ways to connect directly with our guests, but you would need a degree or countless hours of research and planning and strategizing to pull all these things together on your own. There is another option. You can adopt a proven, successful, completely customizable, done-for-you strategy and plan created by an expert and past guest mentor on Restaurant Unstoppable, Nick Fosberg. Nick shares everything he knows in his book, Bar and Restaurant Success. It's the number one marketing and promotion book out there right now. Get this book for free. Go to freebrsbook.com and implement these strategies and plans today. Freebrsbook.com. We're back. The first question I have for you is, what is your it factor, habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Um, you know what? That's changed over the years of what I actually thought about myself, but I think it's the fact that I, I love what I do so much that it's infectious. And I mm. think that um, when people talk to me, even if we've done something wrong and I need to, you know, do something to take care of it or, or whether they're just talking to me, they'd realize that I'm not in this business to skate through my life. I'm in this business because I love it and I have a reason for everything that I do. And so, you know, people can tell whether you're sincere or whether you're lying to them. And, you know, if I tell someone something about the business, I'm, I'm telling them the truth and they know it. And I think, I think it's, I think they can see it. And the fact that we, that I care about how people feel, um, means a lot. Yeah. And so I, I think that's, that's one of the things I have. I think I, I don't have a problem talking to anybody. Yeah. I, I, love it. I, and I talk the same way to my employees as I would talk to, um, the bank <laughs> or I would talk to the, I would talk to my guests, our guests. I talk the same. It doesn't matter who I'm talking to. I talk the same and I can talk their language. And so, and I respect everybody. That's the thing. I don't have a person I don't respect. Um, there's got to be something in somebody you respect somewhere Man, along the line. You're, just, you're uh, dropping yeah. the if factors on us right now. Mm -hmm. And I love that you mentioned that you're contagious or you're infectious. 
Um, and we we laugh about saying like, oh, you know, I'm contagious or I'm infectious. But the, <laughs> yeah. truth, the truth is, I mean, there's there's something real about that. And I'm reading a book right now. It's funny that you mention it now because I'm reading this book called Contagious Culture by Anise uh, Cabano, I believe is how you say Cabana Cabano. Yeah, I, I don't know the name. book, but. She, the whole purpose of this book is your energy either lifts people up or it brings them down. And if you show up every day choosing to be infectious, knowing that your energy will impact everyone around you and you have intentional energy and you're walking into every room with the intention to, to be that person that infects everyone else around you, it's it's so powerful. Yeah, um, yeah that's true. Uh, that's true. What is your biggest weakness? Man, you'd have to ask that question, wouldn't you? My probably my, probably my biggest weakness is um, just getting distracted. You know, I can I can get distracted in a heartbeat, and I think it's you know I'm on a I'm on a roll. But if something happens and someone asks me a question or something, I'm on I'm on that question. <laughs> and it's probably what I said earlier about why I like this business because it focuses you in. But um, I have to stay focused and. I'm not the most focused person in the world unless I'm focused. It just sounds stupid, yeah. doesn't it? But the, <laughs> the thing is, you know, you go through life and there's an interruption factor and everybody needs things. And we have a lot of things going on with the barbecue exchange. You know, we got our catering side of the business. We cater 400 events this year. Um, and we have our cafe at James Madison's Montpelier, um, the home of James Madison, the, you know, the – author of the constitution. And so we got a lot of things going on, a lot of people to deal with. And I just, I need a list and I need to stay focused because mm. I, I'll forget because I'm moving one area and I'll look at my list later on like, good God, I forgot to do that because I, I get, I get focused on one thing and that's, you know, so sometimes I got a little more tunnel vision than I, I should. So, you know, focus is huge. And I think that's a, probably a, a challenge a lot of people have in this industry, staying focused on one thing. We have that bright, shiny object syndrome where we see an opportunity and we chase, like, all these different opportunities at once. Um, yeah. So it sounds – I was going to ask, like, what are you doing? What habits have you developed? What what uh, things are you doing to stay focused? And you mentioned you, you have to use a list. Is that a habit yeah. you developed over time? I, I don't I, – it's still a bad habit for me. <laughs> I have lists everywhere. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you the truth. But – Mainly, you know, I have my wife and she's very focused. So, you know, we'll talk in the morning and, you know, she'll say, hey, what about this? What about this? And I have to start adding things to my list or deleting them off my list. Um, look, I, I'm not that focused, but somehow I've managed to get things done. I, you know, I was, the, I was the food and beverage director for the 1994 Olympic Games in Washington, wow. D.C. venue. Um, you know, I had... I, I, you know, there's all these things that I've done and I've had lists everywhere to get them done. We, you know, we created an event in Virginia called Porkapalooza at the barbecue exchange, which we feed 5,000 people in two days, you know, 40, 20, 40 whole hogs, all this stuff. We bring people in and we get it done and we do a good job at it. People love it. So, but I'm still not the best with it. I need the people around me to, you know, have their thing and then keep feeding me. And, mm. and so I know it's a weakness. But um, I'm going to share. I'm, I'm I've gonna, learned to live with it. <laughs> I'm going to share a book with you that helped me because this is a challenge I have too. It's called Eat That Frog. 
um, by, Eat that frog. By Brian I'm putting that Tracy. on my. I'm putting that on my list. There, yeah. All right. <laughs> oh, that's funny. All right. Uh, the next question I have for you is: What is one piece of advice you have for leadership or leading others? Uh, care, mm. care, awesome. uh, and and look, do things right. And, and this is a hard thing. Don't do things just because you're mad. And your emotions and all this. You got to do things right. Mm. Look at what you're doing. Because at the end of the day, if you do things right, you're going to be able to sleep at night. Because, you know, you didn't screw someone over or, or you know, make a decision based on anger or, or frustration and all those things. You based this on right. And, and I just feel like if you're a leader, you do things right. Just it's hard. Because you might have, when I used to work at places, you know, I'd get a dictate, you need to do this. And I, I wouldn't feel good about it. Because to me, it wasn't right. And I always had a hard time doing that. That's one of the reasons I like working, you know, with Donna and myself. Because we can discuss what's right and what's wrong. And we don't always agree, you know, what's right and what's wrong. So we we got to come to a consensus. But you got to feel in your heart at the end of the day, if you're a leader, that you're doing things for the right reason. And that you're fair and that people can look at you later. I mean, I've had people that I fired come back three or four years later and say, you did the, you did me the biggest favor. So it's just one of those things. I just feel just search for what is right and do that period. And uh, we already kind of covered this earlier, the question on what you ask, what questions you ask or what things you're looking for during the interview. And and you mentioned uh, that they have that vision, that they have a plan for themselves. Uh Um, So we don't need to dive into that. And if they don't (laughs) and you like them, you can help them. There you go. I love it. And so that's happened with me many times. I can look at people and just say, you know what? You did good. And then, (laughs) you know, you came in without a plan and now look what you're doing. And I think it's, I think it's fantastic. If you can play a role in that, Absolutely. You can't base that as the only, as the only. I, I look. I hired a guy last year who came in and he he, he looked like a, he didn't look so great. And uh, I said, he goes, I'm looking for a job. And I said, tell me what what are your goals? What do you? And he's like, ah, well, I don't have any goals. I don't, I don't have any goals. I said, you know, I'm gonna hire you because you told me the truth. <laughs> and I hired that guy. He ended up being the best dishwasher we have ever had. That guy is on fire. And now, he, you know, he walks our town. You know, he's like, he's got like, you know, he's got some like gym clothes on. He's walking the town. He's getting himself in shape. He doesn't have the best home life. But the guy is on fire. And when I hired him, I remember people go, whoa, did you hire that serial killer guy? You know, it's <laughs> like, yeah, I hired him. They're like, why? I said, I just felt it. You know, I just felt it. So he gut, told man. me the truth and, and it worked out. So, you know, it's not. It's not the only thing. You ask the question. It doesn't mean they have to answer it correctly. You're going to hire them. I love it. Uh, okay, so what is your current challenge right now? Um, growth. You know, we have, a, we have a growth issue. You know, we're growing fast. And um, we need – it always seems to be staff-related more than, more than not. And so, you know, getting the vision out getting people orientated when you hire them, having them buy into vision um, and having them train. I think that's always our challenge. You know, mm. we can make really good food because, you know, we got that down and we got really great people working. We, we care, but 
you know, it's just retaining uh, and training employees. That's that's the thing, you know, and trying to identify them correctly, all that. That's that's our challenge. And, and you know, what we're doing about it is we have we took a class called PALS BEI, Business Excellence Institute. This fellow who started PALS drive through restaurants in Tennessee and won the Malcolm Baldridge Award. They have a class and it's all about processes. And it, look, I, I think processes are great, but I don't buy a hundred percent in because I, I think, you know, we're not factories, but you got to give people everything they need to be successful. And you can never think that you're great. You have to look at what you're doing. And so we're, we're working on our processes. We have, we now have a great um, orientation that we feel like gives people the vision. So when they walk out, they're not just like, hi, here's a barbecue sandwich yeah. because it, I mean, we always feel this way at the end of the day, a restaurant's just a building with stuff in it. It's the people out front that are going to make or break your business and they have to be the person you need them to be. I always told him, look, if you're not that person, act like you're that person. You always wanted to be an actor. You want to be on TV. Act like <laughs> you're this. <laughs> and we've taken people who are pretty rude and mean, and they've turned into, like, beautiful, loving people. So it happens. So that's really – that's it. It's always that. It's that that employee thing. Beautiful. Uh, what is one thing besides food your restaurant does really well that separates you from other restaurants? I think hospitality. Awesome. You know, our, our – um, our mission is to give true loving Southern hospitality. And so, you know, people that walk in, they are greeted, they're taken care of. We show them caring. We care about our food. We care about what they get. And, and that, you know, a lot of restaurants don't have that. They're just, a, you know, it's about them. Yeah. It's amazing uh, how so, many people can't define the word hospitality in this industry. When you ask them what hospitality is, they're Mm. like, ah, hotels. (laughs) Uh, And it's like, it's warmth, it's generosity, it's caring, it's it's loving, it's being there and just giving everything you have to, to, for the, for the comfort of other people. Um, Right, right. We, you know, look, we could be, I tell them, look, we could be just like Subway. Now I'm not bashing Subway because Subway is a very successful model of business. But they know when they walk in Subway, the person like, yeah, what do you want here? And they go down, ring them up, hand them the thing. It's it. It's Subway. So, but nothing separates us from them. I mean, yes, we have better food and whatnot, but it's you. It's the people. You're going to look at people and ask them how they're doing. If you like their shirt, tell them you like their shirt. Mm. You know what I mean? If they have a shirt with a pig picture on, give them a free dessert. I mean, that's <laughs> that's what we do at the Barbecue that's Exchange. Awesome. If you come in, because we always say. Women like to dress up to go out to eat, but men don't think about it. But when you see a man with a barbecue shirt on, they come to the barbecue exchange. You know, they thought about it mentally. They're like, I'm on the barbecue exchange. I'm wearing my Piggly Wiggly shirt because I'm going to show them that I love pigs, you know. And so um, we recognize that. We'll give them a free cookie or if they wear one of our shirts too. So, you know, it's this shirt. It's a gift that keeps on giving. I might be coming down with Brooks in September mm-hmm. and I'll, re- I'll remember to wear my, my pig. You got to wear it. You, you know, <laughs> a, we're excited about it. You know, and we got to show people that excitement. Awesome. Either we show that we are true Southern hospitality. We failed, period. I love it. What is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant owner? Well, I have two books. I'm a Bible-oriented man. Mm-hmm. And I read every day. And 
I'm not talking about the ju- any judgment or anything. I'm talking about the freedom and the, and the love that Jesus Christ walks with. And so if I could walk that way, if I could walk that way, I would be a really better person. I, I do want to. The second thing is I, I, I read a lot of books and some of them make a difference on me. Some of them don't make a difference on me, but I, I probably don't read enough books that are like self-help or, you know, like business oriented. I read some, sometimes I get bored with them. I throw them down, but I'm a passion person, you know? So I'm an MFK Fisher fan and the art of eating is a book that has like four books in it, like how to eat a wolf, consider the oyster. These are passion books. They talk about food, not as just food. They talk about this as life and how it relates. And I, I love that. That's mm. Those are the kind of books that I read that because that's how I feel about what I do. Um, it's not all about, for me, the processes and how I treat people and what I do. It's, it's more about do I love barbecue? Do I love the process of smoking? How does that feel? What's the, what's the, what is this based in history of the United States? I mean, you know, the settlers salted their meat. You know, I mean, all those kind of things. Like, to me, I go all the way back. Where are the roots? What is, I mean, this is, to me, it's all about passion. So if people want to read a food writer who is no longer with us, who wrote these books maybe in the 30s and 40s, you read MFK Fisher. Number one for me is Consider the Oyster, but it is in The Art of Eating. How to Eat a Wolf is a good book too, but Consider the Oyster, that's my that's my book. That's a great that's book. That's the name of the book, Consider the Oyster? Consider the Oyster. I just got to read. You're going to look at food differently after you read Consider the Oyster. And it, it, it the oyster could be chicken nuggets. I don't know. But it's a, Consider the Oyster, is uh, that's that's the book. That, that book I read when I was a kid, my mom gave me that book when I was a kid, and it really made me feel differently about food. I just added. I, I just added it to my shopping cart. You got to check it out. Oh, and the <laughs> uh, and then the the other thing that goes along with you know you know with reading these books and and knowing you know what it is that you want to do in life um, and being passionate. You know, those things all carry over to everything you do and and doing things with excellence and for a reason and having something that drives you. you know? This is episode 365. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 365. I'll have the, the link in the show notes right there. And the next question is, what's one technology you've recently adopted in your business that's helped you become more efficient, more effective, more profitable um, that you would love to share with us right now? Oh, man. We, you know what? I love technology. <laughs> we have... Um, so we use When I Work for our nice. um, scheduling. Labor scheduling. Yeah. It works. It's been it's been great. It really has been great, and and especially for our catering business where our director can you know we have all these events and we have all these part time workers and she can she can send out the schedule of the needs and people can plug their name in right away. They can first one that gets the thing comes up on there their cell phone they can say whoa i want to be a bartender at bear lamb um farms at this wedding on august 24th at eight you know whatever boom they put it in for the shift and and then she can look you know a couple weeks ahead and say whoa i you know i have eight shifts no one's picked up you know so it's like it's it's been invaluable for us plus 
you know, we use it for our punch-ins and, you know, we can look at the schedule. We can see who's late. I mean, that, that's a, it's a very nice, and we, this is our third one on this scheduling management that we've used and, and we like it. We don't. What were the other two? I'm curious. Uh, <laughs> you don't want to know the other two. Well, um, I, I, I'm not going to get in that war because people <laughs> might get mad at me. But okay. um, one of them we only had for like half a week. And I, when I told Jacqueline, who's our IT person, our you know our our director of operations, you got to change it in the middle of the week. She just about had 14 meltdowns. Oh man! But she knew I wasn't kidding, and she did it. So one I works one. Also in our catering, our our catering management is Gather. Ooh. Um, and it's an online based banquet event orders, and, you know the whole shebang from tentatives to committed and um, gather. So, I can look on I can look on Gather uh, from the app on my phone. I can tell you what events are happening, where they are, if they're deliveries, who's delivering, what truck they're going to use. Um, I, I think it's fantastic. So we like it. Exactly what is Gather? I'm I'm still a little kind of foggy. Uh, if you're in the catering business, um, and if you've ever worked in hotels, you have um, there's been catering softwares out there forever. Um, basically. When someone calls, you take the call, you put their, you put their name into a database, you know, and you start filling out that client list, you know, where they live, what they're doing, you know, everything, you know, if it's going to be a wedding in 2018, whatnot, that starts building up. And then, you know, when they, every conversation back and forth from that person, they want a menu at this budget, we send them a menu, all that stuff is in there. And then when we start creating contracts, so it could be the contract. Uh, it could be the menu. It could be the it could be the banquet event order that goes to the kitchen. It goes to the beverage people. All, it just does all that, and then it creates a, uh, it creates a um, a calendar that you can look at, and it'll show all the events for the day, or for what's coming up. You could look at October eighteenth and see. So if someone calls, bam, you bring up gather October eighteenth. Sorry, we're already booked. We have four events. Or no, yes, we. We can handle that event. So it's um, like a scheduling calendar tool with CRM, with customer relationship. Right. Absolutely. Cool. It's a, it's, it's really good. And we like those. And we, we actually use Square for our, um, for, for our register. Um, so our POS system. We actually, we don't have printers that go in the kitchen and all kinds of things like that. We believe in controlled chaos. So we'll feed sometimes over a thousand people a day at the barbecue exchange. We don't have one printer. We verbal everything Ooh. to the kitchen. I think that's really <laughs> cool. I mean, I, I come from the aviation background where you have closed loop right. communications, how you do everything. We don't have right. printers. We have readbacks, right. you know, and closed loop communications huge. I would, I would love to see how you guys operate and how that works. It's, um, but, you know, it's kind of ridiculous, but we, we get the food out and um, people love it because they hear us. The energy, back yeah. It, it, it all contributes to that energy, that, we, that buzz. We have a special barbecue item called FUQ. It is a uh, barbecued tofu, Ooh. and people love calling that back because I need a large fuku, and then the kitchen yells back, "Well, fuku too," <laughs> you know. So <laughs> people dig it. Every once, in, every once in a while, a vegan gets offended that you know we're making fun of them, but then we show them the rest of our business model that we make fun of Everything. ourselves <laughs> all day long. And so don't don't be offended. It's yeah. just part of our love. So. Yeah, that's beautiful. Uh, yeah. With all the knowledge you have now, Craig, if you could go back in time and give yourself one 
piece of business advice, what would it be? <laughs> operate from your heart. I love it. You got to You got to operate from your heart. If you operate from a book and from a set of rules and from a set of processes, you can be successful. But if you're going to be successful and great, you got to operate. You got to operate from your heart. Beautiful. What is one question I could have asked you that would have brought more value or a topic we didn't discuss that you would like to drop on us right now before we wrap things up? Gosh, I don't know. You're, you're pretty good. You're pretty thorough. <laughs> um, <laughs> it only took an hour and a half. <laughs> I, I know. I, you know, I, I'm sorry. I could talk. I no, could man, talk please forever about don't be this. sorry. It was, uh, I, if anything, I'm sorry to take up this much time, but you were incredible. Uh, I loved every moment. Look, of it. there are so many other areas we could go. Um, I think probably if you were to ask any other question, you know, maybe, maybe, I don't know. I don't have a question, but I, I know that there's stuff out there that, um, that we could cover, oh, you know, man. to help, to help people in this business. And, uh, I, I got to say I'm in all of our business, our restaurant business and the people that are successful, um, because I know how, I know how hard they worked to get there. I know how much guts they had to have to get there. And, I respect every one of them. I don't, you know, people say, do you mind that these people opened a business down the road, a barbecue? No, because if, if, if it's in their heart and they wanted to do it and they have the guts to do it, I, I want them to do well. Mm. And um, I'm thankful for the fact that that spirit lives on in this country. Mm, I love it. I really do. This has been a great conversation. And we wrap up every conversation by calling somebody out uh, that's how I met you. Bricks called you out. He helped us connect. Who is one independent restaurant operator, somebody you admire in this industry and who's crushing it, who needs to be made an example of who, who comes to mind? You know, I have so many. And the list goes on and on and on. It's, it's really hard. We can follow but, up uh, after the recording if you want. I got No, I got to tell you, I, I have many, but. There's uh, one person in particular that I feel is, I don't know, there's two people in particular, but I'm going to give you, I'll give, I have to pick, choose between those two. And actually there's three, four, five. Give me the first two um, that come to your mind. Well, I, I have uh, Christopher Bates, who was the world champion sommelier, a student at Cornell University when I was there, who to me is a genius. Um, you know, one of those guys that could, could work 40 hours a week, run two clubs, and graduate early at an Ivy League institution. The FLX table in <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. right. If that that's one, and he also you know has FLX table, FLX winery, he has Element Winery. He travels around and proctors all these master sommelier exams. The guy, the guy's a genius, wow. and uh, you know so. I just I, I fed off his energy when I was at school. Also, then there's Charles Belillis, Belillis, um, from Suvla, which is a fast casual Greek concept in San Francisco. Who used to be the um, executive assistant for Thomas Keller, um, man, and and then Michael Mina, and uh, another person who's just doing some really great things. And you know those two, um, you know, and then there's. There's Kirk, who's the general manager for Eleven Madison. There's, yeah, I got. This just goes on and on. These people, they blow me away by their, you know, their passion and their, 
God, their intelligence is unbelievable. Christopher, Charles, Michael, Kirk, look out, guys. I am coming after you. I would be honored to feature you as guest mentors on the show. And let the folks know how we can follow what you're up to, how we can maybe connect if we want to come join your team or get mentored by you. What's the best way to, to find out? Where well, you know, the, all that? the uh, people in, in Charlottesville call me the Yoda of chefs. You know, they have to come and find me and, and get my advice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's what happens when you, you know, you're almost 60 and you've been in the business here in your 45th year. But the, um, we're at, uh, bbqex.com. Now, of course, you know, as well as I do, the websites aren't what they used to be. So at BBQ exchange, all one word on, on, uh, Facebook, Instagram, at Chef Hartman on Instagram, um, Twitter, uh, at BBQ exchange. Um, we, um, we just love what we're doing, you know, and, and, uh, we like we like people who love what they're doing, and we're thankful every day for the people that surround us and help us. And yeah, that's it. Again, this is episode three sixty five. I'll link back to uh, bbq dot com or bbqx.com, right? BBQ ex, barbecue exchange, bbqex.com, or look us up on Facebook. I'll have all the links in the show notes again, 365 plus a summary of today's discussion and a link back to yeah. the books and tools that are recommended all there. Restaurant unstoppable.com slash three, six, five chef Craig Hartman, man. I just want to say, um, thank you. Uh, for, you're welcome. I enjoyed it. Not just for joining us today, but for being somebody who understands the importance of being the mentor. I mean, the chefs keep coming to you for a reason because uh, you're willing to help mentor, grow them, uh, develop future professionals. We, we need yeah. more people like you in this industry that are as giving with their time, their knowledge. And if, if everybody saw the world like you did, it'd be a better place, man. I'll tell you that much right now. Well, thanks for saying that. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, can, you don't, if you live this long and you don't make some kind of an impact, then problem. <laughs> Chef Craig Hartman, there is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thank you. Cheers. Man, that was a great episode thank you chef craig hartman for joining us for just letting me make an example of somebody who's truly great and again those four lessons he dropped on us those big ones that we discussed today were do not lease buy have equity uh, own the property Number two, don't base the entire business off your talent or anybody else's talents. Create system-dependent operations that you can train, where you can train people how to do the work that that you'll need to do. uh, And then you put great people into those restaurants. Make people happy, period. That's number three. And then the fourth one, service is key. And it's all about just serving everybody else. And if you have that mentality of a service mentality where your role on this planet is to serve everyone else around you. You will surround yourself with incredible people that will serve you in return. And Craig is just a great example of that person who exists to serve other people, who exists to push other people, to lift other people up. He said he's infectious. Guys, that's a real thing. Your energy can be infectious. You can be infectious. If you're great, and you want to surround yourself with great people, start by becoming great yourself. You will surround yourself with other great people when that happens. 
And um, man, great conversation today. Uh, tons of awesome advice. Just man, I'm feeling great after that one. I can't say great enough times. Great, great, awesome, amazing, great. Anyway, uh, like always, guys, please do connect with me, Eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. Instagram slash Eric Cacciatore, Twitter slash, not slash, whatever that at symbol is, Eric Cacciatore, then Facebook slash, that is a slash, Restaurant Unstoppable. Tell me who you want to hear from. Tell me who you admire in this industry. Tell me what I can do to make this show better, who I can feature to make this show better. I'm always looking to improve. I'm always looking for that next guest to make an example of it. It's easier when I have my listeners making recommendations. Uh, I'm here. I'm listening. If you have any questions, I might not have the answer, but I also know somebody who does. So uh, I'll get them on the show. I'll have them answer your questions for everyone to learn together. Just some ideas of what we can do with this podcast. I want to go for work for you. But you have to use me. You have to connect with me. Keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. They help validate my efforts so much. If you have left a review, thank you so much. And a special thanks to Jared Parisi, who is responsible for editing, production, and uh, promotion. uh, Making my life way easier. He's doing a stand-up job. Thank you, Jared. All right, guys, that's all I have for you today. Thanks for sticking around this long. And until next time, peace out.